Grace, mercy, and the peace of God be and abide with you. As we continue the the series we began last week about prophecy and parable. Prophecy in Isaiah and parable and lessons we can learn through the ministry and work and words of Jesus. Today we're going to talk about the feast. The feast we heard read about in Isaiah chapter 25 and in Matthew chapter 22. So imagine just for a moment your favorite meal. Now I just lost some uh, attention probably as we're thinking about what we enjoy eating and maybe already leaning toward lunch. But what's something that when it's in the kitchen, simmering on the stove possibly or or baking in the oven, that just that aroma fills the house. And so if you if you enter the door, you just and your mouth starts watering and you're just ready for that. Last night, um, we, had, we had some friends in from out of town and, and I had some food on the grill, uh, in, which is behind the house, and they arrived. So we went to the front door and if you've been to our house or met our dogs, you know that containing our dogs when people arrive is important. So we all are at the front door and we're gathering um, the dogs back and and people are coming in, um, and we're going to go. All, we're all heading toward the backyard anyway, but I realize, well, that food's been on the grill unattended here for a few minutes. And so I go out to the back, and um, our friend Michael, who also came over, he had gone into the side gate to come to the backyard because uh, he's been over before and knew how to do that. And so all of a sudden, he's there, and I said, well, how did you know to come back here? He said, well, I figured... We're all going to the backyard, and I could smell the grill from the street. Isaiah's prophecy and Jesus' parable both tell us that a feast is prepared. A feast is prepared. There's an abundance provided. Look again at verse 6 if you have Isaiah 25 open. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. The Lord of hosts. This is Yahweh Sabaoth in the Hebrew. The, The hosts are the hosts of heaven. This is the God of heaven surrounded by angels. It's a powerful title for God that is used in the Old Testament, this Lord of hosts. He is the one who is making this feast for us on this mountain, Isaiah describes. Where is that? Well, Isaiah was a prophet in Judah and in Jerusalem. And so on this mountain, this sacred space, that God has claimed for his people, where, where the temple was built. So this is Judah and Jerusalem and Mount Zion. This is where God would dwell. The land from which God's people were about to be exiled. See, Isaiah the prophet is warning the people of Judah that they're going to be carried off into exile, that things are not looking good, but there is 
on this mountain, God's going to do great things for all people. Exile may be happening, but not without a future, not without hope. They would return from this exile, but there's more in the prophecy. This is the place where where Jesus spent his last days. The place where Jesus instituted the Last Supper, where he gave his life for ours. This is where God would provide abundance. On this mountain. So imagine for a moment your, your favorite food connected to a great feast. This abundant feast that Isaiah's describing would be, would be like the buffet, <laughs> where there's piles of steaks and ribs and pulled pork and filet mignon and, the, and that, that station where they, where they carve it off and hand it to you, whatever the, the meat that you like. Maybe it's lamb or turkey or something where they cut it while you're watching them. Maybe there's crab legs and lobster tails and tuna steaks and salmon fillets. That's for the seafood fans. Or maybe you want a a buffet that includes egg rolls and teriyaki chicken and sweet and sour pork and soup and fried rice. Now I'm hungry. (laughs) And the buffet includes sides. The pastas, the potatoes, the salads, the vegetables, not those ones that have been sitting there in the bin all day. That you pick up the broccoli and it kind of sags. No, those perfectly steamed bright colors. Maybe breakfast foods are your thing. So that's pancakes and waffles and the omelet station cooked to order. And fruits and juices and the whole thing. And the desserts. There's pies and cakes and cookies and brownies and sweet crepes and ice cream sundaes. That's the kind of buffet. Imagine all the things you may ever enjoy. Isaiah has that kind of banquet in view. There's an abundance that is provided. And it's a celebration. This feast is a celebration. Reading on in Isaiah 25. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. That's in verse 7. And reading on, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Isaiah is looking ahead to return and rejoicing. He's looking ahead to when exile is ended, but he's looking way past that. He's looking at the moment when Jesus returns and there's resurrection and the end of death. And he sees all of this 700 years before Jesus is even born. He knows the location on this mountain. He knows the reason for rejoicing that death is defeated. Matthew chapter 22. 
in the parable, Jesus describes a wedding feast for the king's son. Jesus' parable is about that coming day. When the marriage feast happens, and Revelation 19 picks up that same theme, describing it as the marriage feast of, feast of the Lamb in his kingdom. So this party is no ordinary festival. It's not some three-day weekend of revelry from which people return to normal life, feeling a little bit weary and worn out after partying hard for a few days. No, this is an ongoing feast that the Lord provides, this celebration of the marriage of the Lamb and his bridegroom, or sorry, the, his bride to the church at the resurrection when we enter into life everlasting. That party is prepared and the invitations are sent. This one time I wanted to have a party. And so I got prepared for this party. I was probably in about fifth grade or sixth grade, I think. I'd gone to camp for it was a weekend camp that we went to kind of like I think science camp is for for students in the local schools here and um, where we go off for a weekend and we you know stay in cabins and we you know have this experience at this camp with our classmates and so like a year later I thought well it'd be fun to get all the guys that were in that cabin back together and so I wanted to have this party and so I I prepared some space for us to hang out and made sure we had some snacks in the house and some things to drink, and, and I let the guys know. I'm going to have this party. God extends his invitation, and this feast is for all people. Did you catch this in verse 6? That the Lord will make for all peoples a feast. It's not an exclusive party where some are invited and some are excluded. This, this abundant feast is for all peoples. Everyone's invited to join the celebration. And there's nothing that makes us worthy of this invitation. There's no condition ahead of it like, I'd like to gather all the, my cabin mates back together. And God's not thinking, I want to get together all the people who qualify for this party because they've achieved some level of success or they've done certain things. It's all God's work. He makes the feast. The king sets the banquet. We are fed by God. We are physically nourished through the work of our God as creator and provider. And we are fed spiritually through word and sacrament, through the work of our Savior. And this is not a potluck. We don't bring anything to this feast we just get to simply show up and enjoy it. This feast is for all people, but some choose not to attend. When I wanted to throw that party, I didn't really invite people very well. I didn't provide a lot of notice for people to come and join us at, or join me at this party I was having. It was maybe a day or two before I wanted to have my party that I started to let people know. And I'm not sure that I included all the details that would be necessary. So my party ended up not being very successful. 
And I was kind of sad. The Lord makes this feast and invites people, and the king sets the banquet, and we are offered this opportunity. But the gospel reading for today tells us that some people look at that invitation and think, meh, I'm too busy. There are things to do. There is work that needs to be accomplished. There are priorities that need to be worked on or other commitments that have been made. There's maybe family commitments or community engagement. There's all kinds of things that are dividing my attention. I'm not able to come. This is not about being too busy to attend church on a particular Sunday. This parable is aimed at those who are too distracted or too busy to enter the kingdom at all. That don't engage with what God is offering and don't respond to his invitation. See, Jesus is still talking to and about the Pharisees. People who let their power, their authority, and their social standing actually stand in the way of a relationship with the Son of God who was right there before them. But the message is for all. Don't refuse the invitation. Don't be distracted by, well, maybe fill in the blank for you. What is it that pulls you away? What is it that distracts you from following Jesus? Come to the banquet. Be prepared for the party. Be ready for the return of Jesus and use the main entrance. Because others, not those that are too busy, but other people trying to get in on their own accord. Matthew 22, verses 11 and 12, there's a guest in the party. And these verses give us a little bit of pause because it's like, why would, why would this guy get bounced, right? It's the guy that the, the, the king finds without the wedding garment on. And he gets thrown out of the party, of the celebration. In the first century, so in the context that Jesus is telling this parable, if there was a wedding, the, the person who's, whose children were getting married would provide wedding clothes if people needed them. It's like, um, there, well, there used to be restaurants, and I don't know if those still exist. Probably they do, I just don't ever go there, um, where there's like a jacket required. I don't know. Do those places still exist? I, I don't know. Where, where men would have to wear, you know, a suit coat to go to dinner. I remember a bunch of years ago, my, we were on a family vacation, and we went to a, a dining room, to a restaurant to eat, and in the dining room, men had to wear the jacket, and so they had, they had loaners. And you could identify the people wearing the loner jacket because it had some kind of emblem on it, like this crest or something. And I remember my dad was loaned one of these jackets. And I guess that's so that the jackets don't go home with the borrower. He had to put on that jacket in order to enter the dining room. In the first century, there would be clothes provided if you needed them. So finding a guest without the wedding garment on meant one of two things. Either... He was a wedding crasher, party crasher that kind of snuck in because there was food and maybe some drinks. 
and it's a party, right? Or someone who disrespected the person throwing the party, refused to put on the garment and came in in inappropriate attire. Either way, that person would not be welcomed at the feast. And Jesus' point that he's making is when you come in, you do so in the garment, the appropriate clothing, not that we dress ourselves, but that the robe of righteousness that we wear in this celebration is provided for us by the We're wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus, of the Son, whose wedding it is, as we enter into this celebration. That's how we get to the party. Clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Following him. And declaring, this is our God. Verse 9. Reading on in Isaiah 25. It will be said on that day, on that day when Jesus returns, on that day when judgment happens, when the resurrection of of the dead happen and we enter into this time of celebration, it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. Isaiah knew salvation was in the future and that was in the hands of God who would save. We have waited for him. When was the last time you waited? I don't like waiting. (laughs) I don't like standing in line. I don't like it when there's um, something that's going to happen and, and it's just, what do we do while we're waiting? That's not actually what Isaiah's talking about. This isn't toe tapping impatience that we wait for God. Come on, God, do your thing, right? This waiting, this word that's translated waiting for, or waited here is about hope and trust and faith. We're waiting for God with expectation that he will intervene, that he will provide. We hope that he will show his power and do it soon. So it's, there is waiting involved, but we wait, not impatiently but we wait in hope and expectation. Lately, we've been waiting for God. And I've grown impatient a bit to intervene and to provide and to show his power with relief from this pandemic, with the resumption of life at least closer to what we remember. Let's remember to wait on God there, to wait patiently, to wait with hope and expectation. Maybe you're waiting because an illness or surgery has affected you or your family. It's difficult. But we need to wait on God. We need to wait with patience, with hope, and with trust because we will say on that day, he saved us. And so let us rejoice. Verse 9 continues, This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This is the celebration. That the salvation of God is given to us. And so we rejoice that we are invited and chosen in him. We rejoice that 
in all that God has done. We've received this salvation of and from our God, and we look ahead to that feast, to that marriage feast of the Lamb, while we wait. While we wait, let's strive to stay connected to Jesus, to follow him closely and not get distracted from where he leads. While we wait, let's wait in trust and hope and and expectation of all that he will do and recognition of all that he is doing. We've been invited to the feast. It's a celebration Let's join the party.